Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, this sermon is only going to last about 15 to 18 minutes, and you all will survive it. I've had to deal with this passage all week long, and the week before that, when Jesus started this Sermon on the Mount, so I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. Well, what if there was a hologram or a screen that followed us just over our heads our entire life, constantly. And on this hologram or a screen, uh, our thoughts were broadcast as a tweet or a Twitter. Wouldn't that be dreadful? Our thoughts, our critical evaluations, our judgments, our petty prejudices, our ranking of others as we see them, our resentments, our disdain, our hatred, our rage, our desires, our attractions, our lust, our pride. What if that was just displayed constantly over our head for others to see? Wouldn't that be dreadful? Because we have a secret world inside of us, in our mind, and our thoughts, our hearts, our desires, and generally no one else knows what's going on deep inside the heart. But God knows. God knows. And in today's gospel, Jesus is going down into the very heart, the inner sanctum, the spirit of the law, and is revealing, especially to the scribes and the Pharisees and his disciples, past and present, that God's law is not just outward conformity, but it is an inward heart righteousness. Now that's hard. That's very, very hard. Christ, who is the living embodiment of God, the Word, is now preaching the true Word to his disciples in what is the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching the path of life, which is the righteousness that actually exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees who were concerned with just the outward forms and especially ceremonial cleanliness. He's teaching the righteousness of the heart that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees that we need to enter the kingdom of God according to Jesus himself, our Savior. And so... We want to pay attention. We want to know what this is, do we not? And so, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest section of teaching of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 to 7. It begins with the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, for they shall have the mercy of God, and so on and so forth. Then he says to his disciples, You're the salt of the earth, You're the light of the world. Then he says, don't misunderstand my ministry. I'm not here to abolish the law and the prophets. Heaven and earth will pass away before any dot would be uh, on an I or a T across uh, the the T on the cross uh, until all is fulfilled. He says, I'm here to fulfill or to fill or perfect the real teaching of the law. 
And that's why the next thing that happens is, as he says, you might have heard it said to those in ancient times, but I say, and what I say is authoritative because who am I? I am the very word of God made flesh. So Jesus fills and clarifies and perfects the understanding of the law for his disciples, past, present, and future, and that means us. Frank Matera, who has written an excellent book about the Sermon on the Mount, says that it calls us to single-minded devotion to God. It invites us to be perfect as God is perfect by being wholehearted and undivided in our allegiance to God. It is a call of perfection for Christians to be lived out in their whole life because the light of the kingdom of God is breaking in and things are being revealed and we want to move into the very kingdom of God. So the central theme of the Sermon on the Mount is this righteousness, a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, the righteousness that will be required And Jesus begins to unpack it. So he says, you've heard in ancient times that you're not supposed to murder. But if you have anger in your heart, if you slander your brother or your sister, you're in essence guilty of murder. And that's what Jesus says in very strong language. Now, he's talking about that seething anger, that resentment, where you want to take away someone else's dignity, where you really wish you could just get rid of them. He's not saying every time we say, ah, you know, that guy cut me off, he's a so-and-so. Although that shouldn't be our heart disposition, but that's that's not what Jesus is referring to. The same thing with lust. He says, you've heard it say that you shouldn't commit adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, he's not talking about our natural attraction as we see others and we say, oh, that's a good-looking man or that's a good-looking woman, whatever. You know, he's talking about the settled, obsessive lust that the only reason that you don't pursue it is because you're either afraid you're going to get caught or you're afraid that that uh, woman's husband might come after you with a gun or something. You see... Those sort of dispositions of the heart, according to Jesus, is sin just in the same way that murder and adultery is. So the scribes and the Pharisees could say, look how righteous I am because I've never committed murder and I've never committed adultery. And Jesus said, let's go down into the heart and see if you're still righteous then. And Jesus does the same thing with each of us. So the Pharisees were not the symbol of righteousness, but now Jesus is bringing the real revelation of righteousness to us. This should not be something new to us because in the New Covenant, in the Old Testament, the characterization of the New Covenant that Jesus brought to us Now, Jesus is the Word of God. He reveals the Word of God in the Sermon on the Mount, the spirit and the heart of God's teaching, his Torah. 
he lives it out and he takes it to the cross and dies in order to create a new covenant. But what is the characterization, uh, characterization of this new covenant? In Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it is that this law would actually be brought inside of our hearts. And it would be written in our hearts. And in fact, the Spirit of God would enable us to actually live out this law of God. It is the Holy Spirit's job to produce in us the law of God. And so this is not something for the Old Testament. Well, we're Christians. We don't have to do all that stuff. True, we don't keep the ceremonial aspects of the law. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. And there are certain aspects, but the center, the spirit, the moral law of God has not changed. The reason we know that is that Paul, Peter, and John, apostles who wrote the New Testament uh, almost in its entirety, continue this same law and teaching of Jesus. At the very end of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it ends with these words, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, after a week of this, and after just maybe 10 minutes of this, it's easy to get discouraged and say, I'll never get there. I should just quit the Christian life. Or I should just continue in my complacency, which is where I've arrived at right now to begin with. And all of us are susceptible to that. All of us are susceptible to complacency to say, you know, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I'm basically a nice person. And going down into the heart of things, into the real spirit of this righteousness that Jesus lays out is really just too much trouble for me, and I just can't handle it. I get that. But Jesus calls us to this righteousness. And even though he is our righteousness... That righteousness that he possesses is supposed to come inside of us and transform us that we can become the very righteousness of God. In one of the most mysterious passages of Paul, he says that God made Christ to be sin in order that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And so the call to this righteousness is challenging, there's no doubt. He continues on, and he clarifies things like divorce. There was a great, uh, there was a great debate between Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hillel says, you know, if your wife burns the dinner, you can write her off and send her away with a divorce. Rabbi Shammai said, no, it has to be something much more severe. Moses said that it had to be some sort of unchastity or adultery. There's different ways to interpret that. Jesus said, the spirit of the law, the heart of the law, is going back to the beginning, that God joins two together, and they're not supposed to be separated. That's the spirit and the truth of the law. And then with oaths, he says, you should be so truthful in yourself that you don't need to have an oath. You just have your word, and your word is truth. 
And that's basically where our passage ends, unfortunately, because next week is the last Sunday of Epiphany and we have the Transfiguration. We don't continue forward, but Jesus ends this section by saying, you've heard that you're supposed to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, do good to those who persecute you and are coming against you, and then that way you'll be like your heavenly Father who loves everyone, who's so good that he makes the rain, shine, uh, the rain fall on the just and the unjust. So the end of this righteousness is for us to become like God. It's interesting to note that in, Matt, in uh, Luke, rather, his version, this section ends with these words, Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. So there's a connection. When we hear perfection, it's wholeness. It's not sinlessness. Heaven knows everybody, especially Jesus, knows that that would be impossible. And also in this great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, every time we pray it, what do we do? We ask for God's forgiveness. We ask for God's forgiveness because we constantly need it. But we don't despair because we know that we have a sacrifice for sin. We know that God loves us, but we are indeed moving forward in this righteousness, and that is our call. On April 26, 2003, Aaron Ralston was moving through a canyon. He was an expert outdoorsman, and he was moving along the Blue John Canyon in Utah. And you may know this story. As he was moving through the canyon, a boulder shifted, and it pinned his right arm against a huge boulder. After five days, five days, he finally decided that he had to amputate his arm and he only had a dull pocket knife to do it. It's recounted in a book and a movie, and it's gruesome. Let me assure you, and I will spare you the details. But after he freed his arm, he actually had to rappel down a 65-foot drop, and then he hiked seven miles till where he finally found someone and his life was saved. Aaron Ralston wanted to live. He wanted to live so badly that he could sever his arm, rappel down 65 foot, and hike seven miles. I want to end this sermon by just saying we need to have a little bit more, beginning with me, but we need to have a little bit more of the spirit of Aaron Ralston. We want to have to live that bad to say, if I'm a person that's characterized by anger, I can't sit in it any longer. I have to do something about it. If I'm a person that's characterized by lust, I can't sit in that any longer. I have to do something about it. I have to free myself, whatever the cost, whatever it's shame or exposure, whatever it is. If you're a person that is caught by sin. We have to move forward in righteousness. And the good news, 
the good news is that God is with us to do it. Christ and the Holy Spirit are here. The church is here. The priests are here. Groups are here. We are all on this journey together. But Jesus' call to righteousness is serious business. And we cannot just simply read it over and go back to our normal lives. We just can't do that. We just must not do that. And so we're called to have a little bit of the spirit of Aaron Ralston. Jesus, of course, says, if your eye offends you and causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's how serious Jesus is. Obviously, everyone has their eyes and their limbs this morning, so we didn't take that literally. But we do have to capture the seriousness of the words of Jesus. And if anyone wants to talk about any of these things, please, let's counsel together. So where does this leave us? Well, we're reminded that Christ is indeed our righteousness. That's first and foremost. But he calls us to become like his heavenly Father, and that's a true call of discipleship. Also, it leaves us that as people, we know that we are poor in spirit, meaning that we don't have all this together, and that we should be people of prayer, of asking forgiveness, taking our confessions seriously. We should also be people who are merciful, that know our own struggles, and therefore can be merciful to others. We of all people who know that we fall short have to extend love and grace and mercy to others. And so there's no room for this inner world of ranking and rage and rancor and anger and lust and all of it. We have to let go of it. We have to be purified and Jesus is here to purify it. As we come today to receive the body and blood of Christ, let us come to receive the purification of our hearts and our minds and our souls that we could move into this righteousness and into the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us stand now as we affirm our faith.